Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Do you have questions about the healthcare industry? Welcome to 19 Conversations. Today, we're asking Andy Powery-Smith, Executive Director of Communications and Partnerships at FBA, can the pharmaceutical industry be more transparent? I'm Jackie Davis. Thank you for joining this conversation. So, Andy, let's go straight to the heart of the matter. With COVID-19 dominating the attention of the world's media, there's a lot more interest than there ever has been in how the pharmaceutical industry works. So my question to you is very simple. Can the industry be more transparent? Thanks, Jackie. And yeah, I think, um, you know, we're seeing at the moment just an unprecedented interest in what the industry does. You know, as we think about the devastating human and economic cost of the pandemic, which is still, you know, going on around the world, then I think people are looking towards the research-based industry for answers, for solutions, for, you know, for a permanent route out from under the shadow of this crisis. So that interest has really sparked conversations around dinner tables in socially distanced cafes about how are drugs developed? How are vaccines developed? What goes into that process? How are, um, you know, are they safe? How do they, are they tested on the way? And these conversations often were um, perhaps for the health interested or those of us that are involved in health policy and, and these kind of things. But now they're really a societal wide conversation. So although perhaps for a number of years, colleagues like myself have been trying to talk about how these things happen and the processes and why these decisions are made, there's perhaps now more receptivity to that conversation to be able to tell, but also a real onus on us to, to get that information out there to people. I was going to say, I mean, transparency itself, it's not a new issue. This is something there have been calls uh, for repeatedly. It's constantly discussed what level of transparency there should be, can be. Uh, but now, as you say, much more in the spotlight than it ever was. In terms of what you've done on this issue in the past, uh, I think you have some principles, some guidelines in place in various areas uh, to live out your commitment to transparency. Can you just give me a sense of what you've been doing pre-COVID in this area? Yeah, I think, you know, it's such a broad uh, concept, Jackie, you know, it, it covers everything. I always think transparency is a bit like a Messerschmitt bubble car. So it was great going forward, but it had no reverse gear. So there's always an increasing societal expectation around transparency and particularly in the in the digital age. So there's a number of areas that we've focused on in, in recent years, you know, above and beyond explaining how the industry works and how the process of drug development and delivery works. And so one area is our relationship with health professionals. So um, for a number of years now, as a requirement in the FPA code, companies have disclosed their payments made to health professionals for things like sponsorship to attend meetings or perhaps speaking fees or advisory boards and so on, because that's a really important relationship to us, you know, the, the people that discover, develop and deliver medicines with the people that ultimately prescribe them. We need that flow of information and exchange. So that's just one example of a you know, FPA member companies across Europe have been building that transparency and understanding of who we are and how we operate. Another area I think is really important is around clinical trial information and clinical trial transparency. So, you know, I think for the last number of years, there's incredible strides being made by 
our research colleagues from industry in terms of the responsible sharing of clinical trial data. And we, we really feel that's in the best interest of science, in moving science forward in the best interests of patients and clinicians and others. And so um, we developed some principles with our uh, colleagues at Pharma, so they're FPA Pharma principles on responsible data sharing, really to drive that agenda forward. And I think, you know, now industry kind of leads the research community in, in sharing that clinical trial information and clinical trial data. And of course, clinical trials very much in the spotlight now in the context of COVID. Uh, and in order to ensure that confidence in those clinical trials as you race to develop a vaccine, that's more centre stage, the transparency in that area to give the public confidence in what is happening, more important than ever, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, there is the number one priority for any vaccine developer is is safety and the level of investment and rigor that's going into particularly you know the development of covid-19 vaccines in terms of huge scale clinical trials in order to uh, evidence the safety of vaccines coming through and then the efficacy but the transparency that goes along that is obviously key and we can really understand the societal demand for information around these things coming through you know so for example a number of the companies involved in developing potential vaccines for COVID-19 have released their clinical trial protocols so that people can look at the study and design of those trials um, you know and, and being as open as possible. Can I focus on two specific specific issues in relation to transparency, which cause a lot of debate and indeed sometimes controversy. And, and there are two I'm thinking of here, and the whole question of transparency in terms of research and development costs and in terms of the net prices of medicines. So the prices that companies negotiate with governments in different countries uh, for supply medicines. Let's start with R&D costs, uh, if we might. Um, why not simply say this was the R&D cost for a drug? So this is the price. Uh, is it as simple a correlation as that? What's the issue here? Why is it not as obvious as it seems to a layman like me? Yeah, I can understand that. And I think the first thing to say is I, I want to be as vocal and I am so proud of the 35 billion investment and research and development that the industry makes in, in Europe. And you will not find anyone, you know, from a from a company making that kind of investment and resource that isn't really happy to detail that. And of course, they're in the figures and the account figures and all of those things. And we talk constantly about how we invest in R&D. When it comes to attributing that investment to one particular therapy, it becomes more problematic. So can you imagine, you know, a company that's perhaps involved in Alzheimer's research, as an example, or research into dementia, they'll spend, you know, often decades building up knowledge about the illness, its pathology, biomarkers, all of these things. And as a result of that decades and billions of research, you might get one or two or three candidates come forward as saying, but how you apportion the, the specific costs of actually just understanding how a disease works becomes incredibly difficult in order to, to do that. So that, that's the first point. Just from a practical perspective, it's very difficult to put often decades of research across a broad therapy area and attribute that to a particular molecule or a particular candidate coming through. So that's the first one. The second bit, and you mentioned about, could you not just articulate the research and development cost and then go to a price from that? If we think about that a little bit, you could have a medicine in oncology that was 
incredibly expensive to develop, really expensive research, and was only half as effective for a particular patient going through. And at the same time, you could have one that was less expensive to develop and four or five times more expensive. So if you follow through what you're saying, society would then pay more for the less effective medicine Mm. with a really expensive research. It doesn't make sense. What we need to do is incentivize the things that make the biggest difference for patients. So incentivize that value rather than incentivizing expensive, complex, long research. It makes no sense. So is there any answer in this area just to help the public at least to understand why there isn't a direct correlation, why it's not one thing in, one thing out, as it were? Do you think as an industry you failed to explain that effectively yeah, I enough? Think, I, I think it's a, a good challenge, Jackie. I think, you know, the research and development process is incredibly complex. It's very often full of jargon, technical stages, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three clinical trials, you know, the regulatory processes, what we need to be better at explaining how that process works and what goes into the development of a new treatment. I think being able to articulate some of the the overall investments that are made and also where there's been public funding involved in medicine, being able to articulate why different sectors of the research community have different roles. All of those are important to building the transparency of it. which is different to just the price-cost relationship. Let's turn to the other issue, the issue of net prices. Uh, So, as I understand it, companies negotiate with individual governments, individual countries, based on factors such as the country's economic situation, patient population, healthcare budgets and priorities and so on. Now, again, seems simple on the face of it to me. Why can't you disclose or companies disclose what was negotiated? What was the net price paid in, say, Germany or France or Belgium? Why is that more complicated again than it at first appears? Yeah, and the the key bit to this, Jackie, is about access to medicine. So that that's the most important thing for, you know, obviously for patients, but for clinicians, healthcare systems, governments and the industry. You know, we, we share that goal of getting faster, uh, more equitable access for patients across Europe. Now, in order to do that, you know, we know there are huge variances globally, but even across Europe in terms of, you know, the economic conditions across countries in the European Union, for example. So what the confidentiality of net price allows to do is to differentiate between those prices in order to be able to support those countries that perhaps have a lower GDP um, so that they can facilitate access to uh, for patients in their particular country. If all of those different and individual negotiations were in the public domain and those net prices were in the public domain, you know, very quickly from a commercial perspective, it's very difficult then to differentiate between countries mm. and be able to offer those access solutions based on the the net price that governments pay. So if I understand you right, you're saying, therefore, that that the assumption is, oh, greater transparency leads to lower prices. You're saying, actually, for some, it could. For those who were um, benefiting most, they might see their prices increase, uh, while the richer countries might see, in fact, their prices decrease. So it's not a simple equation. The wrong people might benefit if I can use the word wrong in that sense. I think that's right. And there's a very real kind of risk, Jackie, that you remove that ability for healthcare systems to negotiate with a company and arrive at an agreement with a company based on the economic and societal and healthcare conditions in that particular country. And what 
wondering if there is again uh, a solution in terms of public awareness here, because I'm thinking there are areas of life where we do have differential pricing. You go to the cinema and if you're over a certain age or you're under a certain age, you get a cheaper ticket. You might have family meal discounts and so on. No one seems to object to that. Is the problem here that we've never had that conversation in terms of healthcare systems, that the public don't know that different governments, different health authorities pay different prices? So we don't have that sense of, yeah, that's okay because that's fair. Uh, is is that what 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 holds back that the sort of transparency of this process as well? So yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's a good point, Jackie, that we you know there's a lot of focus on the transparency of the net price in isolation, but actually we should be looking at the transparency of the process as a whole collectively as actors in the healthcare system. So you know, people need to know. I think you know how the price of a particular medicine is arrived at, how that's mm. determined, how can we build transparency into the process so that there is a greater understanding of how that works in order to uh, build the understanding of, of how public resources are used, healthcare resources are used, and also the value derived from particular areas within, within a healthcare system. So where do you think uh, we go from here, Andy? For for you as an industry, um, what are you looking at? Is it the sort of areas we've been focusing on here? How can you answer that expectation for ever greater transparency, but in a way that doesn't uh, raise some of these difficult issues and some of these potentially unintended consequences that you've been highlighting in our conversation? Yeah, so I think there's a number of things. I think first, sort of almost looping back to the start of our conversation, I, I think we are, you know, we use the word unprecedented all the time around COVID-19, but it's genuine, you know. So we we are in a situation really where the eyes of the world are on the research-based industry in order to come up with a solution, you know, beyond repeated lockdowns and, and restrictions on our daily lives in terms of an innovative vaccine, but also in terms of diagnostics. And we know the importance of testing and also in terms of treatments coming through to reduce the severity of the impact on the disease. So we have a real responsibility and we feel it keenly at, at FPA2, you know, update people on progress and on why things are done in a certain way and there's many reasons for that one is just the transparency of it certainly but also to inspire confidence in the treatments and particularly the vaccines that come forward so people know what has gone in to the rigorous process of kind of safety testing and all of these things so number one is is that so how can we give people that accurate up-to-date information on things around COVID-19 in particular, but they also obviously apply to the development of treatments, diagnostics and vaccines more broadly. So I think that's one area. I think on some of the more um, specific topics, the, the key for me is the collaborative discussion. So if we look at the clinical trial transparency journey, that really came from, you know, questions being asked um, in civil society, across industry, in terms of healthcare providers, people got round the table and really came to this with, you know, proactive solutions that worked for everyone. And it wasn't easy at times. And we, we worked through them and we monitor and evaluate the progress, you know, and we and we got somewhere really positive with it. And I think, you know, that that working out that collaborative discussion uh, so that we can meet the needs of people on transparency, but do it in a way that doesn't have unintended consequences for healthcare systems, for innovation, for patients is, is, is really important. Mm. 
And that's what this series is all about, having those conversations uh, at this level. But as you say, then taking that conversation out more widely and looking together to see how we can move forward. So, Andy, thank you very much uh, for your time today. And thank you to all of you for listening to 19 Conversations. If you like this podcast, please click on the subscribe button to be the first to know when we release our next episode. And please leave a rating and review. Until our next episode, we invite you to join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag questions inspire solutions. Goodbye.